0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Uh, today we are continuing our series in um, called Start Week based on this idea that um, our strength is made perfect, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, so when we are at our lowest he is at his strongest because of our willingness to submit our heart and our lives to him. And so today, um, Pastor Richard will be preaching from Romans 3, 21 through 25a. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Aaron. It's good to be back. Um, I heard last week I about lost my job. Uh, and I'm very, very grateful uh, for Terrence bringing the word last week and um, and really blessed by him. And I, too, look forward to hearing more from him and seeing our preaching team expand over the next um, several weeks and months. You know, part of the vision of downtown church is to see um, guys like Terrence come in and be able to use their giftedness and to develop and stay here or be launched out. Um, we don't desire to be a church for ourselves, but we desire to be resourcing the kingdom. Um, and to do that, we just got to let go um, of a lot of ownership and, and let that happen. And so uh, that's the kind of church that we want to be. And I hope one of my biggest prayers this year is we're going to see more people coming in, like Terrence, sharing the pulpit, preaching um, developing and um, ministering among us, so very grateful. Let's go now to God in Prayer as we begin kind of a mini-series over the next couple weeks. I want to talk about uh, what it looks like to be a loving church, um, and to be a loving church we've got to be weak. Uh, so let's uh, go to God in Prayer before we dive into Romans 3, uh, 21 through 25. God, we need you. We thank you that your presence has promised in your word. The deficiency is not in what you say. The deficiency is not in the words in your book. The deficiency is that so much in us resists, fights against, opposes, competes to the point that we want to change what you've said to make it more appealing and attractive. And and yet, God, we need Your Spirit to come this morning and open our hearts to the power of Your Word. Would You come among us and would You change us? Would You show us what it means to live this Christian life battling sin, living in the humility and the knowledge that That sin is real in our lives and it has real impacts on those around us. Oh God, I pray that you would bring a humbling this morning that only you can bring. Oh God, would you do your work? I beg you this morning. And I do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Rachel and I have been um, listening to a book on tape on narcissism and borderline personalities. And that sounded like a lot of fun. Um, and the reason that that we have been doing this is because we both have people in our lives, especially growing up, that exhibited these behaviors that had real impacts on, on our lives. And it, it's interesting, after 33 years of marriage, we are still uh, just kind of mining, getting deep into who we are and why we act the way we do, why we treat each other the way we do. And one thing that, that we're learning through this book is that children that, that grow up around um, a narcissistic or borderline personality, that, um, that, that we try to compensate, um, uh, the, the psychological word is we become a caretaker. Um, Because with all of this chaos going on, um, because a a narcissistic or borderline personality um, person, someone who is is distorted in that way, and we're all distorted in some way, but but when you're distorted in that way, you can never admit that you're wrong. And, And you never see yourself as wrong and you're always doing and saying things that are very inappropriate and so as a, a child in that context you learn to compensate and really what happens is the child learns to become the adult or the responsible one and and you lose out and you become twisted therefore in a very real way because you, you miss out on some emotional development that you should have gotten just by simply being a child under you know uh, healthy leadership and so the reason that Rachel and I are diving into this is because sin that impacts us, impacts us. And that's true for all our relationships. And what I want us to see this morning is that sin is highly relational. There is no sin in your life that someone else isn't suffering from. There is no little distortion, there's, there's no little sin, there's no little habit, there's no little something that especially those the closest to you are not suffering from and being impacted by. If there's anything that I've learned after 33 years of marriage and after three church plants, it is this reality that sin is much more complex And much more deceptive and pervasive than we ever really understand. Believe me, these words that we've heard, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been around the church, you have heard, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many times? A million times. I mean, all have sinned. Okay, okay. But do you understand this morning how you have sinned? Do you understand this morning how your sin is impacting those around you? Because God has an agenda, and His agenda is clear. It is to create not just a loving person. It's not just to restore the image of God in you personally, but it's to restore the image of God in you personally so that you can love Him and love your neighbor. So that you can give yourself away. You see, God's redemption has the communal aspect. I said a minute ago, sin has a communal aspect. God's redemption has a communal aspect. Because what God is doing when He creates or recreates in His image in us through His Spirit, by His Word, the very presence of Jesus Christ, He makes us loving people. Namely, people that whose focus is not here, but on the glory of God and the good of his neighbor. And when he does that, he creates a community. Because if you have two, three, four people whose focus is the glory of God and the good of the other, you've got friendship and love and you've got a community. And the community that God is creating in his world is called his church. It's his bride. And our marching orders, if you will, is to... Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Why? So that we might be the community of heaven. That that we might be uh, uh, the, the kingdom of God on earth, giving the world a taste of glory. How well are you doing at that? How well am I doing at that? That's what this passage is all about. You say, Richard, I don't see any of that in this passage. Well, let me just look at it. Let's look at it. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. What is he referring to there? If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for the good people. No. No. It's it's the power of God into salvation for God's favored people, the Jews. No, it's the power of God for salvation. Not it. it's the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew and also for the Gentile. This was radical. The Jews and that he is speaking into a divided community, a divided culture, a a a a, a world that is warring against one another. And the primary weapon of choice is pride. The Jews think they're better than everybody else. I have a feeling we're where we are as a church today and where we are, therefore, as a country today because the church has felt that we're better than everybody else. We have not believed that all have sinned. we believe that they have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have not been the community of God that that genuinely, practically, tangibly fleshes out the reality that we believe that we are sinful. Equally sinful than anybody else we're going to meet today no matter what their sin is. And because of that, our community is fractured. And so how do we develop a community of love We begin by believing tangibly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Namely, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let's look at it. Three things. First of all, love is always preceded by humility and it's always killed by the sin of pride. Love is always evidenced and preceded by humility and it's always killed by pride. I see it all the time. Uh, A couple months ago at our, our last men's dinner... Uh, Frank Smith gave his uh, life story. Uh, that's what we've been doing at our, our men's dinners, and I, it's so powerful. And his was powerful because he came and he could have told of a, a number of. Uh, he could have given his resume. You know, on your resume, you never give your faults; you only give your successes. And when when Christians are tell their life stories, we aren't to give our resume; we're to give our life story. And and that's what he did. And he he could have talked about playing football at Vanderbilt. He could have talked about business success. He could have talked about a whole host of things, but that's not what he talked about. He talked about how he got fired from a job that he thought he was on a track to become the top guy in. He talked about health struggles and how that impacted his self-image and his confidence. He, he talked about marital struggles and... He talked about his brokenness. And do you know what the result was after the dinner? All the men in the room stood up and said, you're a sinner, we we don't want to have anything to do with you, you're out of the men's group. No! You could almost feel this exhale in the room. It was like, ah, him too. I mean, that's what vulnerability does. That's what humility does. And and you have to understand that the key to real relationship and community is vulnerability and humility, the enemy of which is pride. The Bible defines sin as pride. Listen to these verses. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. For though the Lord is high and regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Wow. The Lord God has shown by himself, declares the Lord the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob. I hate. Can God hate? Apparently so. I hate his strongholds. In other words, I hate his accomplishments. Why? Because he tries to bring them to me to try to impress me with his pride. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. What is pride? It's thinking better of yourself than others. There's a competitive nature to pride. It's I'm going to be better than you. Why are men so bad at vulnerability? Rocky hit, hit the nail on the head. Why are we so bad at it? Because we're so blasted competitive. I don't want you to know me. Do you know how hard it is to stand before you and even confess that my wife and I are, re- you know, reading this book on, um, you know, narcissism? At... I'm about to confess some more sin. Then I'm gonna call everybody in here to. Co- no, I'm kidding. But, but why is we why are we as men so bad at relationship? Because we're bad at vulnerability. We think that real men are better and stronger and faster and smarter. And that is not what the Bible says. In fact, God says, I do not delight in, the, in the, leg, the strength of the legs of men. And yet, how much time do we spend trying to strengthen our legs and not our hearts? You see, pride kills relationships. Love and relationship is permi- preceded by humility, but it's killed by pride. Yesterday we had a, a marriage seminar. Um, we had about 50 couples come to this marriage seminar. It's probably the best. This, I'm, this is saying a lot. It's probably the best marriage seminar I've ever been to, believe it or not. And either that's a, you know indictment on all bad seminars I've been to in my life or uh, that's saying something good about it. It really was probably the best. Uh, so Practical. And one thing that uh, Dr. Brent Stenberg presented to us was this whole um, dynamic of um, confirmation bias. And all that means is this. And everybody married in here is guilty of it. We, we take one behavior of our spouse. We hone Into and we reduce our spouse to that one behavior, thereby, um, you know, watching them under the microscope. And every time they, um, you know, exhibit a behavior that, that, um, that confirms our bias against them, we say, Oh, there you go. You're just like that. And what we do when we reduce another person, when we reduce our spouse to this, you know, the, their worst behavior or the, the the most annoying behavior or whatever gets under your skin in that moment, um, we miss out on the whole person. We miss out on a lot of other good stuff, you know. And yet, what is that? I mean, Jesus said, Jesus put it this way: Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye say what? You've dealt with the uh, smaller speck in your eye, the log. Oh mama. <laughs> Let me just say, none of us in this room have any grounds to have confirmation bias. But it's interesting that Jesus went further. He said, but look, take the log out of your own eye, then you're, you're able to deal with the speck in your brain. He doesn't say, just ignore what's going on over there. You're the only center in the house. You're the only center in your community. You're only, the only center at work. This happens at work too. I mean, you, you know, you've got a coworker, you've got somebody in the, um, you know, the office or, uh, the cubicle next to you. And just every day, it, they just, you know, maybe it's the way they eat. You can just hear them in the cubicle. They're smacking their food and you're like, oh my goodness. You know, where where, am I, where are my earbuds? I got a, you know, I mean, something. We're always doing this. And what the Bible tells us is, look, deal with the log in your own life. And then in great humility, you're either going to say, ah, forget it. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Or, hey, can we talk? Because I love you and I value our relationship. You see, you have a totally different heart change. We see this. This is where God is driving us. He's driving us to humility. Why? That we might feel bad about ourselves. No, that we might be freed from our sin. He comes after David. After David commits adultery and then sets Bathsheba's husband up to be killed in battle, and he um, humbles him to the dirt. And and you have a much healthier David coming out the other side because of his prayer. His prayer is, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture because it reminds me that God doesn't want a bunch of sacrifices from Richard Reeves. He wants my humility. He wants me to be broken and dependent before Him and upon Him. Because when I am, then I'm pliable for obedience. I'm pliable for mission. I'm pliable to go out. But I'm no good over here in all my pride. But it's only when I'm humble. It's only when I'm listening. When your will, Lord, not mine, that I can really go out in power. So where is your heart this morning? Who are you feeling better than? Are you feeling better than Donald Trump or are you feeling better than those who voted for Donald Trump? Or those that didn't vote for Donald Trump. I mean, who are you feeling better than? Who is it at work? Who is it in your classroom? Who is it in your house? Is it your roommate? <laughs> who is it? Who are you feeling better than? Is it your parents? And that's why you never go home anymore. Because you think you're better. I mean, do you, do you feel it? Do you, do you hear it? All have sinned. And that means you. Secondly, love is preceded by real confession of real sin. I don't know if in your relationships, after you've hurt somebody, and they don't seem to be getting over it. Y'all ever been in a situation like that? You've hurt them? They're not getting over it. What do you say? I said I was sorry. That does a lot, doesn't it? How many people in here have really smoothed over, sought real peace uh, in a relationship by doing that? It never works. It never works. Okay, I hit you. I know your nose is bleeding, but hey, I said I'm sorry. Uh, I just destroyed your entire self-image. I made you feel as it like you know scum on the ground, gum under my shoe. But I said I'm sorry. Come on, get over it. What's your problem? Wow. Do you know that's what Israel did with God? In Hosea, it was a time when God's people, yet again, were kind of um, swung the pendulum swing over to the side of hard-heartedness toward God. And listen to this indictment through uh, Hosea in Hosea 7.14. God says this, They do not cry to me from the heart but they wail upon their beds. Interesting. You see, feeling regret is not repentance. Uh, Feeling that yucky feeling when you've been caught in sin and you know that you're exposed and you feel naked, you see, that's what those tears are about. It's not, I'm sorry that I offended the God of heaven and earth and an image bearer of God, my neighbor. It's, hey, I just regret I was caught or I regret feeling the way I do, so I'm just going to apologize quickly and move on. No, real repentance is not just crying on your bed. Real repentance is having a heart that is broken before God and the other person. See, the bottom line is, you cannot fool God. And attempting to fool God does no good for you either. Let me, I'd gone about, I don't know, maybe 15 years of my life before this whole concept of repentance hit me. And it hit me through, I don't have time to go through all the circumstances, but I'd been hurting um, people I loved all around me. And yet thinking that I was righteous, thinking, you know, I, I was saying I was sorry, I was trying to change and all that, but. You know, but when I really began to realize and see in the Scriptures what real repentance is all about, I understood that what I was doing is I was approaching God and other people in a religious fashion. I did this. I said this. I'm trying to do this. Therefore, you should bless me. And you know, sometimes the best gift God can give us is not freedom from sin, but just to let us sit in it until we come to the end of ourselves. See, he, he doesn't work like a, like the God of, of other religions. He can't be appeased with sacrifices because he wants to go deeper. He wants deep transformation. He wants our hearts. So if, if, if you are, you know, settling for a religious life, I come to church, I read my Bible, I went to the marriage seminar, what else does God want? He wants all of you. He wants every ounce of your fiber. He wants you to come to the end of yourself and fall before Him and say, all I am, God, all I am, here I am, take me, use me, expose me, help me see more and more and more of my sin. Why? Because the gospel is power for transformation, not just to appease God. You see, Paul said, look, if the dead are not raised... Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He didn't say, look, if if the resurrection didn't happen, don't worry about it. Just go be religious. He said, no, don't even try to be religious. He said, "I'm I'm not practicing religion. What I'm doing is I'm seeking transformation. I believe that the living God has reconciled me as a sinner to Himself. He's put His Holy Spirit in me for transformation, for change, to make me a loving, holy man. Is that what you want? Well, then let's get busy. Everybody in here should have one of these sheets. Um, does everybody have one of these? I handed it out. If not, there's probably some in the back. Uh, you can share your neighbors. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you about two minutes. I want you to read through the proud people side, front and back, and I would love for you to identify two to three ways that that you are exhibiting the heart of a proud person. You see, because that is not a heart that God revives. When, When God says, I oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble, what He means is, I show up to the humble. Jesus promised to send a helper in john he said he said disciples i'm going to send the paraclete, and you' know what that that word paraclete means it can be translated holy Spirit, but it can also be translated one who hears the cry. Your job is to cry out to God in desperation so let's begin to identify real sin in our real lives in this real moment so begin to do that in your in your Mind and heart, right now. Two or three. And think of examples of how you are hurting people and specifically how you're hurting people because of that. I'm going to set the timer here. All right. Now that you should have some idea of something going on in your own life, the third point. Battling sin for the sake of love. is the key to transformation. Battling sin for the sake of love is the key to transformation. The one that jumped out from the page to me was independent, self-sufficient spirit. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? It doesn't sound near as bad as a critical, fault-finding spirit. All you critical, fault-finding spirits out there, But you know, I heard my wife even recently say, I am so lonely in this marriage. Wow. I've heard from a staff person. It feels as if we are not a team, but we're all doing tasks. All of a sudden... I want to be a critical, fault-finding person. I don't want to be an independent, self-sufficient kind of person. Do you see it? I mean, I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm independent. I mean, that's the American spirit. We we take... No. (laughs) Try to be married to someone who doesn't need anybody. Try to work with somebody who doesn't need anybody. Try to be the child of somebody who doesn't need anybody. Do you get it? Because we were made for Relationship. And yet, why is it so important to get into the root of that? Listen to Ephesians 5, 1-14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. That's godliness. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, Which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light, and you're, you're, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Not everything is just mapped out for us. It's work. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And here's what I want us to see. For it's shameful even to speak of things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Interesting. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, what does it say? The Bible says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What is all this talk about coming into the light? Because when, when your sin becomes exposed, when the darkness within is exposed by the light, what happens? You become light. Do you know that the first step toward the light is admission of your sin? But do you also know how desperately you need those around you to help you see your sin? Because we, the darkness is just us. It's just our personality. (laughs) It's just who we are. Exactly. And God wants to change who you are. And the transformation of the Holy Spirit comes in when we bring it into the light. If you're serious about change, I would love for you to go to the person that knows you the best and say, hey, I was reading this list and, and I... I saw this one thing. Do you see that in me? If they say, no, not really, say, no, really. I want to be honest with me. Christians should desire to change for the good of others. You've heard it said, you're worth it. You are worth it. Do you know what God says? You've been created to bring glory to God and to love your neighbor as yourself. As I begin to see how my independent self-reliant spirit impacts my wife, as I begin to see how my independent self-reliant spirit impacts those I work with, impacts this church, impacts my community, it makes me want to change. It makes me want to be different. And that's how it works. So do you understand now how desperately you need relationship? Do you understand that if you're in a marriage and you've got a partner and through that partner God continues to expose your sin, how you, the last thing you need to do is leave that partner and leave your spouse? Do you see God is at work? All change is preceded by conflict and pain. All change. There is no change without conflict and pain. Do you understand why you need church membership? Why you need to be bound to a body and when things get tough, don't leave. When someone offends you, don't leave. Talk to them. Seek reconciliation. Why? Because you need to be changed and you need others to change you. And others need you. Do you hear that? Be humbled by the reality of your sin And as you do, then you can hear the second part of the verse. And yet all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Dear friends, this week I hope that you will get deep in your hearts. That you will cry out to God to expose the sin of your life. That you will ask your roommate, that you'll ask your coworker, that you'll ask your spouse, you'll ask your parents, you'll ask your children. That's a fun one. What do you see in me that needs to be changed? And then don't defend yourself. Don't get mad. Go get alone with God. Bring it into the light and you will see change. Lord God, we thank You that there is hope in Jesus. We thank You, Jesus, that You are for sinners like us. That sin to You is known. You know the ways that we fall short of Your glory. You know the ways that we're walking away from You. And yet, Lord Jesus, You have brought redemption. You have brought forgiveness. You, your work absorbs all of our shame. And there is hope for transformation. Help us to see that this morning, O oh God. Would you come by your Spirit and make us a loving community? A community that loves you, that loves one another, that embraces the world, that lives humbly before the world, and that draws others in. Oh God, that is my prayer for downtown church. It's my prayer for Richard Reeves. Would you make it so? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.